2: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money because my job's not just to entertain but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Everyone is always fretting about these trade negotiations with China or a more forceful Federal Reserve or the prospect of another government shutdown. But after a day where the Dow gained 118 points, S&P climbed 0.30%, NASDAQ advanced eh, 0.08%. You know what I'm most afraid of? I'm afraid of jeans. Good price. Yep, I think the biggest threat to this bull market is denim. I, right now, at this very moment, am more worried about jeans than I am about China. Why? Because this morning, Levi Strauss, the story maker of Levi's, filed for an IPO where they expect to raise somewhere between $600 million to $800 million. Oh, it's an exciting deal. Levi's is a great brand. It's got a lot going for it. Profitable. Yes! So what makes this a threat to the market's animal spirits? Simple. If you went in on the Levi's IPO, you'll probably have to sell some PVH, the parent company of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, which is why I think that stock lost nearly $2 today. The red-hot Ralph Lauren got hit two down three bucks. Oh, and how about Contour? Yeah, that's the maker of Lee and Re- Wrangler jeans that's being spun off by VF Corp. Wow, that stock's going to be in direct competition with these bad boys. Now, maybe you think I'm being small-minded here. It's uh, just jeans, right? Wrong. See, it's not just jeans. This is just a representation of of what I'm talking about. And not just the fact that these are the fat legs. And Lisa's going to say that I gained weight, which I didn't. Anyway, we're about to get a tsunami of new initial public offerings that will flood this stock market with new supply. And there simply isn't enough money coming into the stock market to be able to handle all this merchandise. Yeah, we need that money to come in to take up the slack. Speak of the devil. Slack just filed to become public, too. And this workplace collaboration software company has a $7 billion valuation. These are used. Okay, Slack's excited, Love the product. But the stock market, like all markets, is governed by supply and demand. Add too much supply and prices go down. Sell, 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 sell. So what does the Slack IPO mean, for instance, for Atlassian? We had them. Well, that's another play on collaboration software. Oh, that stock has been sizzling red hot. Got a $25 billion market cap. But wouldn't you sell some Atlassian stock in order to swap into Slack? Sell, sell, sell! Buy, buy, buy! I know that's exactly what I would have done back in my old hedge fund days. These money managers are going to be begging for Slack stock because it could be red hot. But they most likely won't have enough money coming in over the transom to fund those purchases, so they'll need to sell something if they want to do any buying. Can't you own both? Not if you're running a diversified portfolio, the only kind of portfolio worth having. Let's go deeper. When the federal government closed for business, that created a backlog of IPOs that needed to be examined. Remember, the uh, SEC checks through these things to be sure everything is kosher. Well, you know what? Now that the SEC's back to work, it's reviewing a ton of deals, some of them truly gigantic. And you better believe hedge funds will be clamoring for this merchandise. Now, listen to some of these valuations. Now, of course, this is the size of the valuation of the entire company, it's not how much they're offering for stock. But we've got Uber, that's going to be valued at $120 billion. I mean, that's a gigantic company. Palantir, it's a cybersecurity company. The last valuation was $41 billion. Airbnb, worth $31 billion. Lyft, $15 billion. Pinterest, that one is at $12 billion. Postmates, we had them on two billion. Oh, and we just got the filings for DoorDash, you know, the delivery system, and a Reddit, the social media, newspaper, or online, or whatever. So, what happens to the cybersecurity stocks like Palo Alto Networks, or CyberArk, or Proofpoint when a huge player like Palantir comes public? I think the stocks are going to get hit. They'll get hit because there's only so much money that wants to be invested in that group. Some say that that's why the stock of Palo Alto was down $2.20 today, even though there's nothing wrong at Palo Alto. Or how about DoorDash and Postmates, two online delivery plays that we're expecting to come public? Well, what do you think that does to competitor Grubhub? And that stock's already in a downturn. I can tell you what happens. Nothing good. Worst of all is an IPO like Uber. Uber, the biggest. Uber's a company everyone loves. You have, the, you have it on your phone. I use the app all the time. Now, you know there'll be tremendous demand for Uber stock, and we're talking about a $120 billion business here. Hedge funds will indicate that they want hundreds of millions of dollars worth of stock. Buy, 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 buy! When they get their uh, Uber allocations, they're going to have to sell, 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 sell something else to execute those orders. I think they'll sell the stocks to the largest companies around, probably something like a Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Alphabet. These will be natural sources of funds. That's the term that we use for them. So, okay. so let's just pause it. What happens if Uber comes public uh, on the same day, say that we got a usual rumor about how Apple's cutting back orders for iPhone components? Isn't that just a constant? What if China decides to launch a subtle boycott, suggesting Chinese customers should buy Huawei instead of Apple phones, since our president is trying to get Huawei boycotted worldwide? Well, you better believe the stock will get hit extra hard, and it will be used as a source of funds to buy something new. I don't know, something hotter, something like Lyft. I see ripples everywhere, and they're not good ripples. Once the smoking hot cloud kings become sources of funds for Pinterest, I can see stock of Salesforce Adobe selling off because some lucky hedge fund just got a big allocation of those. Who wants to own any hotel stocks if you've got a chance to buy a slot of Airbnb? Certainly not me. Look, historically speaking, nothing slaughters a bull market as effectively as a burst of new IPOs and secondary offerings. Whenever this has happened in recent years, we've seen whole sectors crushed by a cascade of selling. It's just the nature of the beast. Now, at first, you will not see this coming. I'll try to spot it for you, but you won't. There will be some big deals priced to move, called sliver deals, where they only sell maybe 10 to 15% of the total shares. So then the stocks skyrocket (laughs) That will really get the juices going, and you'll start to see just a bit of money coming in from the sidelines after those initial IPOs scream higher. But then some really big deals will price. And at first, they'll look like there's a lot of demand. They'll also probably go pretty well. Then we start seeing several IPOs a week, then several deals in a day, each one lower quality than the last. Once the floodgates open, there is no shutting them. The next thing you know, the market's littered with copycats and dogs. (laughs) Imitators with each new IPO provoking more and more selling of pretty much everything else. Sell, 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 sell. Look, I'm not saying this will be like the dot-com bomb when 300 companies came public and almost all of them were bad between 1998 and 2000. That red tide came simultaneously with the biggest flood of secondary offerings I've ever seen, as the earlier dot-coms that came public found themselves in a foot race against the grim reaper, so they desperately needed to sell more stock to raise capital personally. But the new wave of IPOs could be a lot like the terrible tide of deals that crushed the cloud plays in 2014. Do you know that back then, Salesforce's stock fell from 67 to 48, even though the company was doing fabulously? Money managers sold the stock, preparing to swap into a host of different cloud deals that were in the pipeline. It wasn't a smart thing to do, but they did it. David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, he actually addressed the concern today when he was speaking with our own Leslie Picker at a conference. Solomon noted that this time around, the companies are further developed and well-known. He says he's excited by the lineup and predicted a very good reception for these deals. You know what, I think he's absolutely right. This crop of IPOs really is extraordinary in terms of its seasoning. Many of these companies have been around for a long time, and some of them have superb track records. But that's not the point. Not at all. See, my worry has to do with supply and demand. When you get a surge of new supply without any increase in demand, meaning without much new money coming into the market, that's going to be bad for prices of all stocks. You know, earlier this week, we had Doug Peterson, the CEO of S&P Global, come on. I don't know if you remember, but he gave us some staggering figures about how money is actually pouring out of actively managed funds and into passive funds, funds that can't bid for this merchandise. They're indexed to the S&P. So here's the bottom line. We are about to get hit with a perfect storm of IPOs. And regardless of how good this new merchandise might be, I'm concerned that the market won't be able to handle it all without taking maybe all stocks lower. More than anything else, China, the Fed, the possibility of another government shutdown—it's this deluge of deals you should be worried about, because nobody else is. How about we go to Styles in Illinois, Styles? Booyah, Craver! Booyah, Styles! Hey, I want to start by thanking you for all you do for us Cray-Americans. Uh, we really love you and don't know what to do without you. Uh, you're very kind, man. You made my day. It's been a long one. What's up? Uh, well, uh, I wanted to know a little bit about Aurora Cannabis. In their earnings call on Monday, they claimed to have sold 20% of all Canada's uh, recreational marijuana, but they also posted a loss of $143 million due to several major acquisitions in Q2. My, my question,
1: Jim, I'm knee-deep in it. Should I stay or should I go?
2: Um, I think you can stay a little bit, but I've got to tell you, I think that group is, uh, it's had a very big run and it's starting to do a pullback, and I would be careful, okay? Remember, Canopy is my favorite and secondarily is Kronos. I need to go to Alex in my daughter's home the state of Oregon. Alex. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. How are you? Hey, my stock, I'm great. Hey, Kinder Morgan just completed a joint venture partnership pipeline uh, from the Permian into Houston, and I think. I think it's supposed to accommodate some 900,000 gallons per day or barrels per day. Barrels per day. You think that's going to... Yeah, it? it actually will matter. I mean, Kinder's going to get its mojo back. I just don't like that group. There's, you know, the, the uh, these, well, this is a C Corp. It's not a mass limit partnership, but this one is better than most. And I disliked it for a long time, but you're right. They're doing a lot of good things there. Okay. We're about to get a tsunami of new merchandise. And there isn't enough money to take up the slack in this market. Oh, man, money tonight, the international flavors and fragrances reporting up the close, and this stock is getting battered. I'm stiffing out the report with its CEO. Then, two analysts enter, but only one leaves. Don't miss an epic showdown over the fate of Cummins. And it's a company that's up more than 50% over the past year, but could top Low's decline following earnings be a buying opportunity? I'm going to talk to the terrific CEO, so I need you to stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening what it all
1: means get the truth not the spin the news with shepherd smith subscribe to the podcast today
3: this company drives the science behind products we smell and taste have investors caught the scent of a winner or does iff need to do more to stimulate the market senses
2: When a company reports seemingly subpar numbers, you expect the stock to get hammered, especially if it's already run up ahead of the earnings. That's exactly what happened to IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances for you, home givers. This company, which creates proprietary scents and tastes for all sorts of consumer packaged goods, reported after the close today, and the stock got battered in after hour's trading. I can see why at first glance. It doesn't look perfect. IFF delivered an 8-cent earnings miss off a $1.30 basis, slightly weaker than expected sales, in part because Fruiterum, new acquisition, the competitor they acquired last year, was softer than anticipated, but I think we have to drill down on that, too. Without that, the full-year forecast seemed a tad light. All right, so I'm a little confused. IFF has been a very well run company, 130 years old, uh, something I've been recommending since I was at Goldman in 1985. So I gotta figure out what's going on here before I just say, let's buy it. So let's take a closer look with Andreas Fippig, He's the chairman and CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances to learn more about the quarter and where the company is headed. Mr. Fippig, welcome back to Made Money. Andreas, have a seat. Good to see you, sir. Good to be back. All right, one thing is certain. Every time you've come on, you have told us that there are certain things that happen that are moving parts. The last time, mm-hmm. you said there'd be a secondary. Uh, the stock just had one of the biggest moves in the market. And this time, the stock came in very
1: hot to the quarter. Yes. Can you walk us through it? Because to me, the most important line of all this is you reaffirmed your view. Yes, absolutely. What is important is we delivered on all the key metrics for last year and the fourth quarter as well and we are confirming our long-term guidance guidance as, as well. So we're all very excited, and particularly about the integration of Fruiteroam.
2: Well, let's talk about that because when I look at the Food line, people were saying, I looked up the consensus was for 370 million. It came in at 359 million. So I think there could be some people say, they just bought this thing, it's already slowing. Yeah. That's not the case, right?
1: No, actually, if you compare third quarter to fourth quarter of the Fruiteroam, for example, it's accelerating in, in sales. And we should not forget the fourth quarter was well, not completely full quarter. We closed at the fourth of October. Right. So there are a couple of days missing as well. I don't want to exaggerate that, but that's the fact. Well,
2: let's go the other way. Tell us about what they have that you were so excited about.
1: So first of all, um, the naturals. We all know that the trend for naturals is in the market for a while. And 75% of all their offerings are natural products. Secondly, they have a very big and large customer base. And this large customer base is particularly these faster-growing smaller companies. So we have now in our industry the largest and broadest customer base with 30,000 customers. And then on top of it, we are going into some of the adjacent areas where we have experimented over the last uh, couple of years with active cosmetics already on our own. But now we are bringing some other adjacent areas like food, natural food protection, natural colors, or health uh, products in as well with all natural ingredients. And we believe that this can help us to accelerate our growth actually to five to seven percent.
2: I think it's important. There's a generation of people who never really thought about natural ingredients. We just bought what was ever on the shelf. But this new generation of people, say between the age of 20 and
1: 35, they look at the label. They don't want to see a lot of ingredients. Exactly, they want to have a clean label. They want want to have natural ingredients. And then what we should not uh, underestimate, there is basically a a demand for plant-based protein, alternative proteins, which is a huge market for us because we have to make it palatable. Everyone's laughing because
2: I I have vegetarian daughters, and this is what life is. And if I'm not sensitive to it, then I'm old-fashioned and a fuddy-duddy. It's what they want. (laughs) All right, so how are we doing doing in flavors here? Because Consensus was 417, came in at 401. Again, I mean, there's so many moving parts of currencies. There's always a lot of, you know, maybe some one-time things. I want people to feel confident, stock down eight or ten. That they should know that there people are selling because they're uninformed.
1: Okay. No. What, what we have to say is we will deliver. We will deliver on our, on our guidance. We right. did it last last year. We believe that we can accelerate the growth on the top line, five to seven percent, and around ten percent EPS EPS growth as well on the midterm. Which I think is a good good number well, for consumer packaged yeah. goods. It's stronger than almost everyone. Yeah. And how are we doing it? We do it through. Areas where we have intrinsic higher growth in the marketplace, that's number one. Number two, we believe that we have a lot of cross-selling opportunities into the new customer base with the uh, 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 already existing uh, products. And we have an unmatched product pipeline right now. We have so many innovations in our pipeline, like new modulators, for example, where we can reduce sugar. We talked about this, for example.
2: Right. How about uh, greater Asia? Uh, And uh, India seemed very strong.
1: Very, very strong. We're actually market leader in India. We are right now have a a big uh, capital investment there as well. We are building the most modern and state-of-the-art flavors and fragrance plant in India.
2: Fragrances uh, remains very strong. It's just a universality. Even in an era when people want selfies, you can't smell the fragrance. But people seem to just... It, it's just a great growth market. Estee Lauder has been telling me.
1: Yeah, that. It's, it's a very good growth market on, on both sides, on the fragrances, but on the uh, active cosmetics as well, particularly for, for everything which goes on, on the skin or on, on, on the hair. What we have had last year a bit on the fragrance side is that the raw material prices went through the roof, yeah. and we still expect some inflation. So we have to catch up with price. And if you have seen something in last year where well, we had a bit of a weakness, that was certainly the catch-up with the raw materials in the, in the fragrance business.
2: A balance sheet now are totally great,
1: after, even after a very big acquisition, right? No, it's good. Balance sheet is good. We will pay back our debt. You know, it's a very high cash-generative business, so we're very optimistic on that.
2: And is there any new flavor that people like? I know each time you've told me about something. that I mean, because we know, for instance, we are f- uh, friends with the guys from McCormick, ah. and people like spice. Is it natural spice? They want hot, because it doesn't put weight on.
1: Hot is right. And what we can do, for example, and we discussed it with one of our customers, to do on potato chips different flavors <laughs> on, on the different side of the ship. And we have different... Su- yeah. Really? I was with the guy ahead of Frito Lay last <laughs> I, night. I, I they just you. love that. Yeah, because we, we have bought, uh, bought a company, a very small startup, and they can do 3D printing of flavors on. Every on any surface, basically.
2: That is brilliant. Well, Andreas, I think that people get an opportunity again, like you said that they would on the secondary. That was one of the great opportunities of last year. This might be one for this year. That's Andreas Fibbing. Guys, I know this company since it was one of my actually I worked very close with them in the 1980s at Goldman. This is a real deal, one thirty-year-old company. It's the chairman CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances. They have money's back after the break. Last night I told you that there's a vast chasm between the glass half full vision of this market and the glass half empty one. Normally well, these two perspectives aren't that different because there's only so much your worldview can diverge from the facts on the ground. But you know that we are in a bizarre binary bye, 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 moment. Sell, sell, sell. Where the facts are kind of up in the air every day. If you think the president will negotiate a trade deal with China and the Federal Reserve will continue to hold off on hitting us with more rate hikes, then the future certainly looks pretty bright. If you think there's no chance of a deal and the trade war will keep escalating, crushing the Chinese economy, which will then export its weakness to Europe, well then the future looks mighty grim. Now look, you know, I am in the glass half full camp, but there's no denying that the stock market has become polarized, and all of this just filters down to individual stocks. So you know what I'm going to do? Because I really want you to understand how this works. I'm going to give you a Textbook example of what's happening. Last week, you we got some mixed results from Cummins. That's a classic smokestack industrial company. We interviewed them years ago. And it makes engines and related components for trucks buses, RVs, construction equipment, and locomotives, as well as power generators for a variety of end markets. Many people think they make the best in the world. Really, though, Cummins is mainly a play on medium and heavy-duty trucks, one that's widely perceived as being hostage to the Chinese economy. So after years of outperformance, we watched with horror as this stock melted down in 2018 when President Trump started rolling out his tariffs on imports from China. Cummins was immediately identified as one of the major losers from the trade war. Then when our economy took a turn for the worst in the fourth quarter, thanks to Fed Chiefs Jay Powell's boneheaded insistence on a series of lockstep rate hikes, the stock got slammed yet again. From its peak in January of last year to its lows in late December, Cummins lost nearly 32% of its value. The house of pain. Since then, now, the stock has rebounded dramatically over the rest of the industrials. It's up nearly 23% from its lows, in part because the Fed stopped talking about the need to destroy our economy in order to save it from the scourge of non-existent inflation. But here's what intrigues me about this story. Last Tuesday, Cummins reported a decidedly mixed quarter. They delivered a nice top-line beat. That's the revenue line, okay? Coupled with a big bottom-line miss. That's the earnings line. And the guidance, let's just call it cautious. Now, initially, the stock got slammed. But then management told a reassuring story on the conference call. Cummins bounced off its lows, closing down less than a dollar last Wednesday. I, I was shocked. I thought this thing was a goner. Yet, in keeping with the bipolar nature of this market, some analysts had wildly different reactions to these results. The very next day, Baird, really good company, especially when it comes to machinery. They upgraded Cummins from neutral to outperform. That's uh, hold to buy in the, lang- in the lingo. Opco downgraded it from outperform to perform, removing their price target in the process. That's right. Now we got a good old fashioned analyst gunfight. Oh, I love it when we get these dueling pieces of research because you always want to know the best arguments of both the bulls and the bears, right? You certainly before you pull the trigger. It's a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome situation. Two analysts enter, one analyst leaves. But if that's too lowbrow for you, feel free to think of it as a Hegelian dialectic. You got the bullish thesis from Baird, and you got the bearish thesis from Abko. And hopefully by pitting them against each other, we'll end up with a smarter synthesis that helps us figure out where a common stock might really be headed. You've got to do this process before you buy an individual stock. First, though, allow me to set the scene. Last year, the stock became a proxy for the health of the global economy, and particularly the intensity of the trade war with China. I often talk about oil being that proxy, but Cummins' stock is one to watch, too. See, Cummins gets nearly 10% of its sales from the PRC, and that is a sizable chunk. And until recently, it was, uh, by far, the fastest-growing part of the business. That's what matters, okay? It's where we call the delta, where it's really starting to pick up. So when President Trump started cracking down on China for its predatory trade practices— Cummins was suddenly in the crosshairs. Our tariffs have hammered the Chinese economy. It's now growing at its slowest pace in decades. And that, in turn, has hammered Cummins. In 2017, the company's China sales grew at a 38% clip. Remember, we're pretty ugly-dory with them then. But last year, that growth slowed dramatically. With China sales up less than 9%. This was their fastest-growing region. It's now their slowest-growing region. Still, for much of last year, Cummins had a major positive offsetting their Chinese weaknesses. As Ben O'Dor, the CEO of Clorox, told us in October, there's an urgent need for additional trucking capacity here in the U.S. But after the Federal Reserve signaled that it was willing to crush the economy in the fourth quarter, the story changed. Truck orders started plummeting. In December... Heavy-duty Class 8 truck orders were down a staggering 43% versus the previous year, and down 24% versus the previous month. Medium-duty trucks, that's Class 5 to 7, so their net orders, new orders declined by 5% year-over-year year and 14% month-over-month. Month. The preliminary data for January looks even worse. Cancellation rates, they have surged. Thank you, Mr. Powell. They know nothing! Remember, this whole slowdown was caused by the Fed, so when j Powell uh, shelved his plans for more rate hikes, the demand for trucks, well, let's just say they should be Starting to bounce back. When Cummins reported last week, though, the numbers were pretty suboptimal. However, this is why I always say to listen to the conference call. Okay, CEO Thomas Linebarger, I'm sorry, Linebarger, painted a brighter picture. While he expects more weakness in China, along with stagnation in Europe and India, he's also anticipating some real strength in North America and Brazil. He believes 2019 will be a good year. That's why the stock barely got dinged in response to the quarter. So Linebarger changes the narrative from the headlines thinking that things are bad to something that makes us much more confident. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Wall Street's reaction to these numbers was all over the place. Baird upgrades Cummins from neutral to outperform, raising the price target from 144 to 195. That's really huge. But then Opco downgrades it from outperform to plain old perform. A hold. And They don't really like it. Let's go through the bull case and the bear case. I think it's illuminating. Baird's upgrade was part of a broader bullish call on the trucking space. Now that they covered the industry, said good things. Baird had been very negative on this group, the whole group. But now the truck orders have come down, they got more positive. Why? Because historically, the truck stocks tend to bottom right around when Class 8 truck orders see their most significant declines. I've studied this cycle for years. That's the case. In short, they think you need to anticipate the eventual turnaround in the trucking business. Because if you wait for the data to improve, you'll miss the rally in, in these stocks. I, I, this is often the case. Whether it be semiconductor capital equipment, whether it be farm equipment, Dear reports tomorrow, this is what you always see. Baird views Cummins as one of the most compelling ways to play the upcoming re-rating of the truck. Stocks. That means they're going to be liked more. It's a very well-run company. It gets more than half of its sales from North America. They argue that this process tends to take about 12 to, 8 to 15 months. And over, the time, over that time, the stock could produce some terrific gains. However, the analysts at Baird also acknowledge that there's a real risk that they could be too early with their bottom call. Always a risk when you make a bottom call. Basically, the bull thesis is that the truck business has gotten so tough that it's now poised for a turn. And while they, that may sound counterintuitive, it makes sense to me, given that we're no longer fighting the Fed. All right, well, How about this bear case from Opco? Smart guys. They like Cummins. But now they expect the 2020 fiscal year will be down year, a down year for North American truck business. And that is really bad for Cummins. You can't be recommending a stock in a year. going to be worse than last year. There's also a lot of uncertainty in China, and that doesn't help them. On the other hand, if we get a trade deal with China, these bearish analysts admit that the engine maker's earnings would explode higher. At the end of the day, they don't feel comfortable pounding the table on Cummins when the North American truck business is declining, though. Notice both the bulls and the bears believe the near future looks ugly for Cummins. They just have totally different interpretations of what that near-term ugliness looks like. Wow. It really is like that every day in the institutional trading and research firms. The bottom line, to me, the glass is half full. And I like comments here, given that you're no longer fighting the Fed. But this stock is so linked to China that I think you can get a better price if you wait for the next pullback on some sort of story that there's no trade deal, and then you pull the trigger. I need to speak to Russ in Virginia. Russ.
1: Hello, Jim, and booyah. Man, I'm liking that. I hope you're doing well, and thanks again for all that you do to help investors navigate the market. Thank you very hey, much. Hey, Jim, I've been closely watching and doing some investing in the transport sectors, air freight, logistics, road and rail.
2: Wow. You know, know that's a controversial sector to right to now, Do You
1: tend to prefer the larger players in this sector compared to a medium sized company like Knight Swift, KNX.
2: Oh, boy, I do like Knight-Swift. But you know what? I've become very partial to United Parcel. Now, you may think, well, wait a second. That's not what you want. You want a trucker. And the one you wh- you have, I'm going to say, is best of breed. Why do I like UPS more? Because I am convinced interest rates aren't going higher right now, and it yields 3.25. I, Russ, want to give you some dividend protection if you're going to play the transports. Rails, by the way, wow. Uh, Union Pacific just announced a gigantic buyback. Joseph, in Texas. Hey, Joseph. hey, this is Joseph from Beaumont, Texas. Done. I want to give a big booyah to Kramer and ask Kramer about Honeywell. Honeywell, H-O-M. I just, I, I, I gave a talk today for uh, club members of ActionAlertsPlus.com and I said that this is the stock that I would buy right here <laughs> as a way to be able to play the airline cycle, particularly if we get a trade deal. All right, to me, hey, listen, I'm an optimist. The glass is half full. I like comments. Consider getting in on the next pullback. I'm siding with the Bulls. Okay, much more man money, ahead, including a company that works with like Southwest Air, JP Morgan, Google, Charles Schwab, and Pfizer. Is it time to consider Tableau Software? I've got the CEO of Data. What a great symbol. Then I had a eureka moment for last night's show, and it could help you make some money. I'll reveal it and put it in context. Oil calls Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round, so stay with Kramer. Okay, what the jack? Really, what the heck just happened to the stock of Tableau Software last week? Tableau is a data analytics powerhouse. It's been one of the hottest stories in the cloud as they've made a big push to shift toward a subscription-based software as a service business model, SaaS, okay? I've been recommending the stock since it traded at $60 back in the spring of 2017. Since then, it's more than doubled, trading as high as 127 as of today. In fact, Tableau is one of the few growth stocks that actually managed to rally during the fourth quarter, and as the new year began, it kept climbing to new highs. Then the company reported a week ago And the stock lost nearly 7% of its value in a single session, falling from 132 to 123. What went wrong? Well, Tableau delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, and the company maintained its full year forecast. But Wall Street seemed confused by management's guidance for the next quarter, perhaps because of some complicated accounting issues. So are we getting a viable pullback, one that's already been re- repealed based on this misunderstanding, or is there real cause for concern? Let's check in with Adam Slipsky. He's the president and CEO of Tableau Software, totally bankable. Get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Slipsky, welcome back to
0: Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be Back with you again. Appreciate it. Well, I
2: got to tell you, I looked at the quarter. I mean, maybe I took two years of accounting. And I said, they are just crushing it. They are switching to a subscription business. It is a little, dif- little bit difficult to understand. But I look at some of these, uh, the annual recurring revenues that you've got, these gigantic number of new million-dollar subscriptions. Isn't that the best way to evaluate how you guys are doing?
0: I think just looking at the ongoing customer momentum and the momentum that we're building uh, as a business is is by far the best way. That's how I think about the business and um, kind of let the markets take care of themselves. As you mentioned, we've got well over an $800 million uh, annual recurring revenue uh, line item now. And uh, you know, most importantly, we have a, a ton of you know, really interesting, excited, uh, cutting-edge customers with big and small uh, kind of changing their organizations with Tableau. Well, one of the things
2: that I thought that was pretty incredible is a new product that you literally just introduced that answers, I think, a lot of the questions that people have who don't really understand how to code or figure out how to even ask their data. And it's called Ask Data. I think that this sounds very empowering for people who didn't necessarily get a computer science degree.
0: Uh, That's exactly right. Uh, Today's a really exciting day. We launched the newest version of Tableau this morning with uh, data preparation capabilities, new mobile environments, integration with PowerPoint, and as you said, Ask Data, which is a new natural language processing capability in Tableau. It basically lets you ask completely natural questions in human language like, how were my sales last week? and Tableau gives you back a complete uh, Tableau visualization of the answer. It's got really smart algorithms inside of it, which translate uh, things like bookings or uh, sales and revenue all into uh, into the same uh, same concept. And we think it's really going to be a a dramatic step forward in terms of uh, making it easier for people to work with data. We think it's the type of technology that over time can uh, enable millions or even tens of millions of people to work with data without being data scientists.
2: Well, well, that's a good example. You've got a couple of really fabulous clients. I was going to talk about one that has millions of pieces of data that has to run on time in order to be able to make it so people love their product. And that's Southwest Air. I interview Gary Kelly every single quarter. I Mm -hmm. know he has got the leanest ship. He uses your program. So I thought you could tell us how Southwest Southwest Airlines benefits from Tableau.
0: Well, we're really excited to be partnering with Southwest. They have, uh, there are thousands of people at, Tableau, uh, sorry, at Southwest uh, across uh, over 35 different departments using Tableau. One of the most exciting applications is their uh, on-time performance tracker. So it used to take them days to assemble all of this uh, uh, perf- uh, on-time data performance uh, across maybe 100 different data sources. And now they have a near real-time tracker which updates every 15 minutes which people across the company, including senior management, uh, can use to to understand their on-time performance. And for a a customer-focused airline like Southwest, you can only imagine how important that is.
2: No, the record depends upon it. And then another, we're very uh, close to a lot of drug companies that have so many different moving pieces of Mm -hmm. data in order to be able to figure out whether their trials are working. A great company, Pfizer, that's probably the most blue-chip account that you can get. So what's Pfizer doing with Tableau?
0: Uh, we have a very close partnership with Pfizer. And in fact, uh, uh, they were actually on stage in our uh, keynote presentation at Tableau conference this past October. Uh, so there are over 25,000 people at Pfizer now who are using Tableau. Uh, you can only imagine it's across a whole variety of applications. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited about how they're using Tableau in clinical trials and to actually improve patient outcomes and to change treatment plans by doing massive analysis uh, uh, using Tableau. It's, it's a... Just a, a, a really empowering and uh, and an important use case that we, uh, we we focus on together. Well,
2: just so everyone understands the language, because I think this dovetails. On the conference call, you said something really terrific. You said you, what you do is you take needlessly complex tasks and you make them into simple and visual processes. I think that really, for those who've never used your product, really is just a, a really great way to look at what you do.
0: Well, I think more and more we're trying to just lower the barriers to using data. You know, we think that you know, every decision that every knowledge worker in the world makes uh, it should be a data-driven decision. And that's going to be a work in process. That's a vision. We'll get there in time. But we're starting to enter the age of analytics ubiquity where you know millions and eventually tens and maybe even more than that of knowledge workers are going to be using data every day as part of their you know normal uh, normal work life so technologies like ask data we think can be really fundamental because for the first time instead of asking people to come to the software we're bringing the software to where to the way that people already think today. We think that's a very a very different paradigm in how to use analytics software, and we're really excited about it.
2: Well, I think you guys are totally on fire. You didn't get much of a chance to buy the stock because people just didn't understand. You're crushing it. I want to thank Adam Slipsky. This man has really reinvented this company. He's the presidency CEO of Tableau Software, Symbol Data. It's doing terrific. Thank you so much. Stick with me. It is time! It's time the lightning round! The. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate! It's time for the night round! I'm starting with I'm sorry with Ramon in California. Ramon! Booyah, Jim Bacuay! This is Ramon calling from California where mountaintop the mountaintops are white
3: right now. It's just like the substance I used to mess with back in the days. Jim! I was brought up in performing the great working class city where a lot of proud Mexicans work to survive, and I just want to thank you for what you do. I well, hope you can continue helping others like me to make their hard-earned
2: savings grow. So from the place where I was raised, I'd like to talk to you a member of the Lover Street locals and crown you well, a My you. question, me is on Fitbit, picker Fit. Uh, you know what? I would have liked Fitbit at one time. Like I would have liked Fossil. I know, obviously, Fitbit is uh, better, better in terms of health, but... At the Apple Watch is, is king. And while Fitbit can sneak back, you know. Own oh, Apple, don't trade it. And the service revenue. Some people putting up some nice new watches on my Twitter feed. I like that one. I need to go to, I'm going to mispronounce this perhaps. Lisey in California. Lisey? It's Lise. Hi, Jim. Lise. All right, Lise, how are you doing? I went great. I was wondering about Moderna. They cured cancer last okay. week. Okay, I my, pulled up with these guys when I was at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. And I was quite impressed I think it is a winner and a little speculative, but you've got a good call. You've got a good call. Hey, why don't we go to Teresa in New York? Teresa! Booyah, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Teresa. Teresa, how about you? Good. All right. Coming from New York City, got a question about marijuana stocks. Cannabis. We call them cannabis. I don't call them marijuana anymore. I call them pot stocks. Go ahead. Pot stocks. Okay. Two Ray. Well, you know, two rays okay. Big short squeeze. You know, we've got two that we like. Our favorite is Canopy. That's because they've got the four bill from Constellation. And our second one is going to be Kronos. And we're going to stick with our two. Those are the ones that brought us here. Let's go to Mitch in Minnesota. Mitch.
1: Hey, Jim. Big
2: booyah from Minneapolis. Nice. Cold a what? little. We were with hey, Brian Cornell yesterday from in Minneapolis. He's terrific. What's up?
0: That's right. You enjoyed your Super Bowl trip here. What are your thoughts on biotech company Exelixis? E X E L.
2: We like Exelixis. We think that it's got a lot of good stuff, but we recognize that it is speculative. We profiled it several times, and we're on and we're on board. Hey, why don't we go to Ernesto in New York, Ernesto? Hello, Jim Kramer. It's Ernesto from the Bronx. Hey, hey, everybody. I was doing, buddy? wondering. I'm good. Yourself? Good, 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 good. I was just wondering with the failure of the Worldview four. And the stock down more than 85% from its high. Is this a good buying opportunity? Shouldn't they be able to send one of their satellites with arms to help their satellite? Or is this stock junk? What, what was the stock? I'm sorry. Max R technology. No, Maxer, no, no. no Wait too speculative. I, I don't know why it will bounce. I'm gonna have to ask you to I'm gonna have to say Don't buy, don't fight. Okay, don't now fight. we're going to James in Utah. James! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I hope everyone finds a career as satisfying as yours is to you. Oh, you're very kind, and I have to admit I do. I have to admit that I do. What's up? What's up? Okay. In
3: light of this battle against uh, plastic straws and fast fast food packaging, and the dividend. What do you think of international paper? Well, uh, you know what
2: I think. I wish that they really were a play on uh, paper straws. I didn't make the same mistake with West Rock. They're really a play on worldwide growth, and there isn't enough worldwide growth right now. So we're going to stay away from IP. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round.
3: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Last night at a eureka moment, a sudden realization that radically alters the way you see the world. That's how I felt when I interviewed Shopify's chief operating officer, Harley Finkelstein, for last night's show. It came to me that Shopify isn't just a software company that enables e-commerce. It's become the way for anyone to sell their own merchandise online. Harley gave the example of Michael Jordan, who could have sold his own shoe rather than licensing his name to Nike in exchange for some royalties. Now, the Nike distribution is terrific, but you know what? Not everybody's Michael Jordan. What I really care about are the cohort of Shopify's 820,000 clients, mostly small to medium-sized businesses, who never would have been able to afford to rent a brick and mortar store, even as they have fantastic ideas that can now be realized online person's dream. See, for every Kylie Jenner who builds a billion-dollar brand power by Shopify and clever social media campaigns, I think there are thousands of people who are working to fulfill their own dreams, dreams that never would have gotten anywhere before Shopify launched this platform. Maybe you have an idea, a sustainable product, for instance, made by real people, but you can't get it into a department store. Maybe it's too small. Maybe they don't want to take the big order. Maybe they take the whole order because they need bigger orders. In the old days, well, that was it. You had to forget about it. But now those dreams don't die because you can use Shopify as your distribution network. Even better, because Shopify has all this data on how your product is selling, they can offer you loans. It's a Shopify merchant cash advance, Give you the working capital you need to expand, maybe tie yourself over to a rough patch. You know who else that reminds me of? Square. I know a company I like you very much. Now, I know Square from Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican tavern in Brooklyn. We use Caviar, which is the Square terrific delivery system. It's a good service, but if you use Square's point-of-sale system, we don't, but if you did, they, too, will offer you loans as they know exactly what your cash flow is like. That's a wonderful thing if you're running a restaurant and you're thinly capitalized and get two weekends' worth of snowstorms, something that can obliterate your cash. Square knows the snow is temporary, so they'll give you an, an advance. In a tough industry where a huge number of operators go under every day, Square is literally saving restaurants from going out of business. I like Wix. W-I-X dot com is a platform that helps you develop a website, something that my wife Lisa used at her new place, the Longshoreman, also in Brooklyn. I couldn't believe how good that website looks. It is the Longshoreman. It's spectacular. Obviously, using Adobe tools, you can design pretty much anything, too, although there are plenty of artists always willing to work to help you build it. And It looks just like you're a big place. Who else? Salesforce.com, Mark Benioff's company, has empowered thousands of people to learn how to code and develop fabulous businesses through its Trailhead program. I talked with dozens of budding entrepreneurs who started six and even seven figure enterprises at their kitchen table. Trailhead. I know Twilio's stock got obliterated today, but it's only a hard response to what I thought was a perfectly good quarter. Twilio hope helps you communicate with your customers. I learned to code there so that we could get information from patrons at the Longshoremen and push the specials right to their cell phones, although we don't have the infrastructure to implement it yet. But this kind of thing could be huge for tons of small business owners. Finally, there's Etsy the online marketplace for handcrafted goods that's turned countless people into entrepreneurs. My daughter knows I like cufflinks. Take it from me, you don't want to buy cufflinks from mass merchants. You go to Etsy, you see the handcrafted nature. It's so terrific. By the way, you won't believe the amazing handcrafted Valentine's Day presents you can get, presents that show you uh, you care more than if you, uh, just like, say, went to the mall. Put it all together, and these technology companies are doing incredible things to empower small businesses. I want to keep coming back to this theme, because I'm betting the stocks I just mentioned may be worth more than we think, especially Shopify. And hey, if you run a small business, tell me about the companies that are helping to empower you. Go to Twitter, at Jim Kramer, and let me know. Let's do this one together. Stick with Kramer. So excited got chuck robbins tomorrow and squawk on the street he smoked it that's right cisco just a monster good quarter i can't wait to speak to him like i said there's always a more good summer i promise i'll find it just for you right here on man buddy i'm jim craver and i will see you tomorrow